right. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. This is Scott. And this is Ollie. Yes, it is. Yeah, it is. And this is science in between. This is what's happening here. Right here. Right, right now. Just, yeah. Look at us. Science in between. Hey, so well, last episode, we did this magic wand thing, right? And we did uh, magic wand and teacher education. And this is all coming from like the revisionist history, you know, uh, magic wand experiments. Like if you could do anything and, yeah. and, and I don't think we need to set it up again because he heard last episode, then this episode is going to be kind of similar in the sense that we're going to do a magic wand. If we could change anything, if we just wave a magic wand right. and change anything about science education, what would we do? Yeah. 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 So, so that's, we- I mean, that's a pretty broad and I, I, do we want to put some some confines on this, some like boundaries? Are we talking K to twelve? We talking you know all of it? We talking like oh. STEM education, like broadly through you know college and everything? Because you know, sure, may as well. We're gonna throw it all out the window. May as well. All right. Well, I mean, we're you know I mean, magicians. I mean, we could focus on K twelve, I guess, if we were being fair. Um, to be the, to be fair. To be fair. <laughs> that's an oldie Uh, you know our longtime listeners longtime listeners uh, we'll catch that from (laughs) the early days yeah to be fair to be fair um you want to start yeah yeah sure i'll start so um i think actually where i would start um is well where i think we probably both would start on some level which is is thinking about the community right and what what would we want from a a community of science learners, right? So instead of taking it from the perspective of how are schools structured and, and what should we do to organize them and blah, blah, blah. So in that respect, I think the first thing I would want to do is I would want to get rid of age level uh, organization of schooling. So Mm. I think, I think that that is a, that's just not a productive way to organize kids. Um, And you should, there are so many other ways to think about how to do that. Um, but I would, I would start by thinking about, um, you know, the, that schools would be organized around, um, essentially in terms of science anyway, around some kind of research group basically. Right. So this would be like problems that students are investigating and trying to solve or work on. Right. And those could be, um, you know, ideally local things that they're working on. But, um, but the, the, you know, if I'm really waving my magic wand here and can get rid of whatever I want, I think that would be the the first step I would take is to say, what we really want is we want communities of, of students who are investigating real problems that are guided by a teacher or group of teachers um, and they are actively investigating these problems as a group. And those, those groups could cut across ages so that there are younger kids who are learning new stuff while there are older kids who are doing sort of deeper investigations around other aspects of it, but they're all sort of working together on, on, uh, now, you know, then we got to start talking about configurations of that and how all that, but I think that's where I would start is to say, the one of the biggest barriers i think to the way that we think about science teaching is the fact that we force we arbitrarily group kids by age and then that creates right. all sorts of differentiation problems um that are that are really um complex and difficult right when we're trying to support science learning well, that's a pretty radical idea i think you know, like yeah. uh, I, it's, what's jump. right why well, what i think is interesting about that is that um you know, we talked about teacher education last week. That was one of the um, the starting points, right? Was that we have to, you know, have a, a, a bigger community of people supporting, you right. know, teacher candidates and teachers at all different levels. Because, you know, you know, with us as, you know, teacher educators and then with experienced teachers and master's teachers and, you know, yeah. And so I see that as there's a really neat parallel with that. Mm-hmm. I, I My starting point was going to be very similar, not so much in, you know, grouping these into communities, but, you know, right now in most schools at the early grades, we're not doing anything in yeah. science. Like science is like, okay, let's hold off on science until, you know, third or fourth grade. Yeah. And then we have some students who are just 
you know, at that point going, okay, well, what's this? And they're like interested in science um, at the earliest, like you talk to, you know, little kids and they have their, you know, own theories of how the world is working. Right. And Mm -hmm. they're just like, and they're walking around as little like experimenters Mm -hmm. and, and they're curious. And, and I think, you know, in some ways our focus on, you know, literacy and our focus on mathematics is depriving them of that, you know? I mean, and not, I'm not saying that it's not important to learn those other things. I'm just saying that, you know, we can be tapping into their curiosity. And I think your, your idea of these communities, communities of researchers or communities of, you know, scientists in schools um, is, is really cool. It's a cool idea. It's a cool way of uh, uh, approaching what I'm seeing as a, a real problem, you know? Yeah. Cause I think we need to get, and I, I think the other part that's kind of cool about that is and that's maybe a, a leap. And I think I've talked about this before is that, you know, um, the coalition of essential schools, this goes back mm-hmm. a ways. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, sort of like grouping around, you know, um, areas of study, right? It was, mm-hmm. you know, and then saying, rather than looking at, okay, we have these, you know, subjects that we're going to follow from a book or something, we're going to pick, okay, this year's our, you know, or this unit or this, you know, semester, we're going to focus in on this thing, this question. And then all of our units is going to be built, all of our subjects are going to be built around that. And I think that rather than, you know, having these discrete subjects, we can use science as sort of like the, it's it's the plug that everything else gets plugged into, right? Like we mm-hmm. could be teaching literacy through science. We could be teaching math through science. We could be teaching, you know, history through science. Everything should be coming through science, you know? I'm not saying to privilege it, but using yeah. it as, as, as a springboard for all of it, because I think that we can, um, it's a source for all of that, you know? Maybe. I mean, I, 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 that feels a little science ed centric and not that I'm not supportive of that in a general way, that, but it, I'm talking magic wands, right? We're talking I magic know, wands. I know, but, but there also are, you know, lots of kids who I feel like that isn't necessarily the right path where everything goes through science, but, but are you um, pooing my idea? I, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe, <laughs> um, but but instead, I'll yes and your idea. So what I'll what I would say too is the other thing that that we could think about then too is is this breakdown of of the subdisciplinary barriers that already exist in science, which is right. already a weird thing about science, right? None of the other areas, I guess, social studies to some degree has a little bit of this, though it's not Math as formalized. Mm, no. No. Yeah. I mean, when you t- say, if you ask a high school student what math they're taking, they're saying, oh, I'm taking calculus. I'm taking. But if trick. you I'm ask taking... a, if you ask a teacher in high school what they teach, they oh, say they're going to say, no, they'll say I teach calculus. They will absolutely say they teach. calculus. Yeah. But but they won't say I can't teach geometry or I can't. Teach, right. Right. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You're right. I think it's a very different thing. Not to mention the, the pure fact that their certification at like I am certified in physics. I'm yeah. not certified in biology. Like I, I could not in the same way that a math teacher can't teach biology. I can't teach biology. Right. If you, yeah. if you teach within your certification area. So I think it is different and I think we treat it, you know, very differently. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's bad um, in some respects. I mean, I understand there are reasons for it. Um, and, but if we're going to, you know, wave our magic wand and, and allow for the fact that now teachers would have the content preparation they they need to be basically generalists in science. Um, I think I think there would be real strengths to that. Um, I think the idea that people could um, talk across grade levels and across communities within a, a science investigatory structure, right, where you know, like the thing that my group of students might be investigating is gonna is going to naturally include aspects of physics, biology, chemistry, and, and potentially earth and space or environmental science. So I think, but I think that's, that is good because that this is one of the things that we want kids to understand that all these things are related like that. That's the main goal of this cross-cutting concept thing in the NGSS is to say, yeah, these are all like areas of science, but they're is a domain a discipline that that encompasses all of it and and science is 
a bigger entity than chemistry or physics or biology. So, so I think figuring out, you know, getting that and, and breaking down those barriers and focusing on investigating phenomenon instead of um, teaching topics right. that are broken out in some arbitrary way. I think it just makes so much more sense for the way that we understand the world. Yeah. So I, I was, I was thinking a little bit about like, how would we change the standards? Like if we were to have the ability to, you know, really just blow up the standards or wave our magic wand and change the standards. Cause I mean, they have evolved, you know, we've talked about that in other episodes too, but like, what's the next, next progression for it? You know, cause I think we have these, you know, I think sometimes, and this, even our, our group, our group that's uh, doing this professional development in Pennsylvania, we get lost in the language, right? I mean, there's, you know, like, what's the difference between the practice and a concept and a, you know, mm-hmm. and so I, I I wonder whether, like, how do we, you know, correct some of that, Um and is that structure necessary? I don't know. I mean, I was I spent some time thinking about this since, since we came up with this. Do you have any ideas with that? Like, how do we change the standards? Well, you know, I mean, again, are we in the magic wand world or are we in we the are. in-between space? I mean, if we're in the magic wand world, I'm not sure you need standards. Um, yeah, I, that's what I was actually thinking, like, of that. I was, like, going, do we just blow them up? Do we just, like, yeah. get rid of them? But then then we know what will happen if we, what, what is a world of without standards? Again, this is like looking at the poo pooing side of it is we both existed. We started our careers in times when there was no like really national standards, right? Mm -hmm. Those came out after we started teaching, you know? And so it was like, there were standards from, you know, basically it was the AP organization set the standards for the AP tests. Right. And, and however they did that, you know, I think they looked at what colleges were teaching. Yeah, they looked at freshman college courses. Right. They looked at freshman college courses and said, this is what we're going to, you know, this is what we're yeah. going to put on the tests. And that drove the curriculum uh, for those classes. And and I think, you know, for the most part, it was like the other classes were those like light, you know, <laughs> or, yeah. you know, and at least at the high school level. Um, and then in the middle school, you know, in elementary school is basically just what people want to teach, right? It's yeah. like, well, what do you want to teach? And yeah, then pretty idiosyncratic. Right, exactly. And then, so you had some schools that were teaching something because somebody, some teacher had a passion for this, you know, they were like, oh, I'm really into dinosaurs. And then we ended up having, you know, elementary schools of just <laughs> dinosaurs. Yeah. And that's not too yeah. far from that. That's like not a joke. Like, no, no. It, I mean, especially, I, I mean, I think in fairness, most school districts, even pre-standards, tried to do curriculum alignment right so they were it to be mayhem they didn't want like one third grade teacher to be teaching dinosaurs and another third grade teacher to be teaching astronomy and another you know i mean so there was i think there was a sense at least at the district level um that there was some coherence both you know horizontally and vertically in the system so that there was some i'm not saying it was perfect i'm not saying that they right. they did a great job at it but i think you know it wasn't like science teaching was just teach whatever you want it you know there there were there were outcomes there was there were um you know there been there's been state state testing for a long time you and i both went through uh, well it, in michigan there were standardized exams i took as a as a kid. So those yeah, standardized I don't know. exams existed and were used to evaluate districts. So, yeah, I would say that that didn't happen in Pennsylvania. Like there was like, I, I really remember in my, my be, the beginning parts of my career that it was just like, you know, somebody just handed me curriculum and said here. So there was curriculum, but I also worked in districts that, you know, they had that sort of alignment then, but we both know of districts, you know, maybe 15 years ago that didn't really have that. And that was well after the standards, you know, came out. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, so I don't know, like I was thinking is the next, if in the magic wand world, is it getting rid of standards completely? I don't know. I don't well, know where I land on that. The thing is like, okay. I mean, obviously we don't want to necessarily check these things with reality because that's not the point of the exercise, sure. but, but um, if, if we reorganize 
schools, the way that I'm describing in terms of inner interage learning communities that focus on phenomenon, investigating phenomenon that are of, you know, local or national or whatever larger scale interest, um, then that shifts the whole notion of what you even think about in terms of standards. So that, you know, does, does that mean um, like we think, okay, well, climate change is something that is of, of big concern, right? So maybe every school district in the country has, has a community that's focused on climate and climate change. Um, But maybe not, maybe they're, maybe that's only some of them. And um, you know, that I think the the question that we'd have to grapple with is how do we think about what are the sort of key things that we want kids to understand right. um, as part of preparing them to be citizens in the world, right? Um, and we've talked about this before, and this is this is a, a tricky one. You know, we did the draft that one time yeah. that the ideas were that we thought were most important. So, you know, and, and I think that the bottom line is, you know, there, there are maybe are not that many things that we uh, making a list really think it's critically important from a social point of view for kids to understand. Right. Now, that doesn't mean there isn't lots of science that they should or could understand. Um, and it also doesn't mean that if we have a, a school structure like this, that's in, that's focused around investigating phenomenon in large groups and so on that, um, that they wouldn't learn lots of science, right? They're going to learn a lot of science because no matter what phenomenon you pick, certain things are just going to naturally be a part of learning that stuff. So, um, so you're going to, in a K to 12 experience, you're going to learn a lot of science. Right. I don't think either of us is saying let's not learn science. It, and I think what we're trying to do is position it differently in terms of, you know, the students and the content, the, you know, their positionality between those, like, it's like, does some, you know, is there, you know, coming back to the big book of science, like, you know, are they doing, are they accessing the big book of science or are they helping to navigate that because of their own interests and because of, you know, local communities, you know, setting what they are interested in or like, they're like, Hey, we're interested in studying this because this is a local problem you know, and then using that as a, you know, a source for what they learn, you know, that's, yeah, I mean, the, I think, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think the thing that's really interesting to think about is like, what is the premise of, of everybody knowing a base level of stuff, right? Or the same amount of stuff, right? Like we have this notion that at the end of high school, every kid should know the same amount of science or not even the same amount of science, the same science, same science. Yeah. So the same pile of stuff, right? And when you think about that, on some level, that seems sort of crazy, right? Because um, that that implies that a it's going all of those pieces are going to be equally useful to all people, which of course is absolutely cockamamie yeah. nonsense. And the other thing is, do we really want a, a, a is that our goal to make everybody the same? Right. Or or should our goal be to have, as it is in so many other ways, a diverse and interesting and um, hopefully integrated and community involved group of people who have differing expertise. Right. I mean, you know, you can think back to like Ann Brown's work on um, on, you know, differentiate. What does she call it? Oh, damn. I'll think of it. But um her work around uh, distributed, that's what it was, distributed um, expertise in a case, right? right? So this idea that like, we don't necessarily want Ollie and Scott to learn exactly the same thing. We want Ollie and Scott to potentially learn some complementary things, which means some some things will overlap and some things won't, but we'll have our own unique expertise. And that's good because that's the way the world works, right? People don't come into a scenario where you sit down at a table and everybody knows exactly the same thing like that. That why have the meeting? If everybody knows exactly the same thing, why are we getting together to talk about solving a problem? Right. The whole point is to have a diverse set of expertise. So, so then that, you know, if that's true, then, then that, really for me puts a real question mark after what is the notion of standards again if we have this completely different educational system I yeah how it works Ma- magic wand world exactly yeah. but like the... what what does it mean to be you know do we need standards if 
if the if the system isn't standardized maybe that's the yeah way. no I, I that's a that's a great way of framing it and if we're going to get rid of um the standardization then i mean standardized assessments are out the window right thank yeah. god for that let's get yeah. get rid of them you well, know what's the point of them right right so you know? their main point is to to see how well you do compared to some arbitrary standard that's been established. So right. if we don't have those, then okay. Right. Because it's like it's the the widget, right? How well does this yeah. widget compare to that widget? You know, or and mm-hmm. are we doing a really good job of creating widgets? Yes. You know, the, and yeah. and this district is doing it really well. Even yeah. though they might have different, you know, materials than the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The factory next door, right? Right. But yeah, so I, I think that, so we're landing on a few things. We're landing on the fact that we're going to get, get rid of uh, standards. We're going to get rid of standardized tests. Just a few little uh, things. Just just a few little things. Yeah. Minor those changes. Are, yeah. Those are low hanging fruit, right? Yeah. Those, <laughs> those, are, those are easy, easy ones to accomplish. Then we're going to get rid of grade levels, right? Yeah, that's you know, not a problem. Not a problem either. No. Cause we're going to um, organize of, schools. Yeah. And get rid of subdomain divisions right. within science. So that, yeah, yeah, that's that's a that's a good one too. Yeah. I think the other thing is we're gonna make schools really well funded when it comes to mm. um, science and science equipment. Like they're gonna have like like state of the art equipment to do this stuff with. Yeah, because you know no no more you know string and sticky tape. You know, yeah, that was, that, that was, I, you know, the beginning parts of my career, I, uh, I just, you know, was looking for anything that I could make, you know, teach physics with, you know, like right. building things. And then when I moved to a district, they didn't have any equipment, but they're like, Hey, we really want to, you know, uh, invest money in this. And it's, and the person who interviewed me was like, it's not like you have a blank check, but pretty close. And I, yeah, I took full advantage of that <laughs> over the course of the first five years. I was like, look, and this is my principal who said this. I'm like, look, you know, you said, dude, you said, and this is, he's like, do you really need this? Yes, I do. Yes, I bet I you I, I spent tens of thousands of dollars in those first, I bet you I spent, you know, 50 or $75,000 in those first, first five years easily, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and we had like, awesome equipment we had awesome stuff you know but then you know it showed because people started showing up for like like when i first started teaching physics at the school that graduated like 600 700 kids i didn't have a full load of physics and i was the only physics teacher you know so i and my classes were like 10 or 15 people so i think my total classes were like i might have taught 60 kids you know so i was 10 percent of the kids in this district were taking you know physics yeah by the time I left was by the time and this was like uh, what 10, 12 years later, um, we were up to three physics teachers, all teaching full time physics. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Well, you went it to is. the physics first model, right? Uh we had we had physics first at with some of the students. Okay. Yeah. But uh yeah, for those folks who don't know, physics first is the idea of teaching physics in ninth grade mm-hmm. and teaching it from a conceptual standpoint rather than a mathematical one. And so, and I think that's, that's something that is pretty revolutionary, you know, in the, in the sense that um, it really turns that, you know, um, was it the committee of 10, you know, yeah. on its head, on its head, you know, because yeah. they they wanted physics as, as being the last thing, but it's such an, you know, important place to start with, you know, helping students understand, you know, how to do science, right? It's something that mm-hmm. they can do pretty easily and you can, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's about fundamental questions about the way the world works. So, right. Um, the, it's just that the assumptions always been that the only way to really understand it is, well, the assumption by physicists mostly it's right. is it's by the only math. way to understand it is through mathematics. So, right. um, so that's, which is unfortunate, but yeah, it's like, um, let's throw some equations on it. And it's like, oh, yeah. A little math sauce on there. <laughs> math sauce. Yeah, that's that's a new one. Yeah. So we, I mean, we, these are these are easy things to do with the magic wand. What yeah. else? What what else do we have? Like f- fully funded labs. And yeah. Lots I mean, of I, I just want, I one. wanted to follow up that one. Yeah. That I think that's a thing that um that we we often or people outside of science often don't recognize is how materialistic in the not in a 
the typical way that I think that that gets used, but, but in the, that science is material. Um, it requires interactions right. with the material world that require equipment and, and other things. Right. And I think there are, there are other disciplines. I mean, art obviously comes to, to mind. Absolutely. Um, that's like that, but, but there aren't many other disciplines in, in school that are as materialistic as sciences. It really does require, um, to really do it well requires, um, requires material goods. It requires, um, you know, stuff that right. they're going to work with and, and also often instruments that can be expensive and things like that. Yeah. I'm I mean, talking about like, you know, particle colliders, but. Oh, but we yes. could. We could. <laughs> one for every school. Yeah, one for every school. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if we're going to really let, lean into this idea that, you know, science is learned in, in communities based on experiences, having experience and studying experience and studying phenomenon, that we have to create opportunities for that to happen. And that comes through providing the materials and resources for that to happen. Mm. And right now, there's so many schools that science is learned through books. Mm -hmm. And which is a way of learning science, but it's not experientially based, yeah. you know, and they, they need to be able to get their hands dirty. They need to be able to, you know, break things. They need to be able to like, right. you know, and, and, you know, you know, when I first started teaching science in this underfunded school, I was basically just saying to anybody, save your trash for me. <laughs> like, don't, you know, save your, your, your can, save your, right. you know, plastic, save your, like, cause I would find a use for it. I would be like, yeah. okay, yeah, I could, I could teach science with that. I could teach, yeah. you know, I could teach science. I would go to the dollar store and just walk around and be like, okay, what can I teach science with? What can I teach physics with here? And I'd be buying like, you know, you know, Nerf guns that were like a buck, you know, yeah. and, and knowing that I, they would barely last through a class. <laughs> but I mean, but if it's an experientially based, you know, way of learning, then we have to have them experienced by being, getting their hands on that stuff, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and while you go, go ahead. Cause I have a, I'm well, I was, taking I, a little different direction. I was gonna, I was gonna go take that leaning into that experiential thing even more that it's, it can't just happen in, in, in schools. Right. And it can't just happen in their local community. It's got to happen in other places too. And so that means that, you know, the field is the world. And so if we're going to magic wand this, then we're going to be able to take kids wherever science is happening and wherever their curiosity you know, takes them. So if that means that we're taking, you know, trips to far off places, then rock on because that's, you know, the magic world we live in, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And so I would love to see kids, you know, saying, you know what, I'd love to do something at the beach. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, cause there are some of our, some of our students haven't been to the beach there. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's not like an, you know, outlandish claim that some students haven't been to the beach, right? right. That. And is there a place for them to study science there? Amen. There's lots of places for them to study yeah. science there. And, and I think that's the, you know, magic wand world. Let's take, yeah. let's take them the trip. Let's take them some places yeah, to learn field science. Field trips. Field trips. Yeah. I mean, and, and what I think I'll, I'll pick on that I was going to turn to that sort of in between the two things you just mentioned, right. Is, is the, the community though, which is to say, we would we would want the students to be engaged with the community too, and the community would be engaged in this process as well, right? So it wouldn't be just that these little learning communities are studying something that's of local interest. They're studying something of local interest, but they're engaged with the community as a part of that, right? So that means that they're, you know, maybe that means directly they're going out and working with people in the community and collecting data about them or about about their local context. But hopefully, it also means they're working with their parents and their families and their know their their extended communities to to help them understand the science that they're investigating and that they're you know like that they're those people are contributing to that to that scientific effort as well so that it really is a community science that's just driven by the students because this is part of what they have to do for school yeah that's that's cool because i think that gives us an opportunity to be you know also educating the broader community yeah. You know, not just the, the students in our classrooms, but the ones beyond that too, like their parents, uh, the other community yeah. members. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. What a, what a, 
what else needs to get solved? What else? I don't know. This Can is we... pretty, we're pretty, uh, pretty ra- sky, it's, <laughs> it is radical. I think we approached this a little bit more radically than we did with the, you know, we did teacher yeah. education because, you know, we're, we're thinking about like just deconstructing everything, you know? And yeah. yeah well, but I think it, it's an indicator of, of how deeply ingrained schools are into our, in our social fabric, right. That, that it's very difficult to make radical change in school without sort of making radical change in everything. Right. I mean, just because, I mean, schools are the formative institution for the first, you know, give or take 18 years of our lives. um, And they have a huge impact on the way that society operates and the way that we think about almost everything. So, um, so yeah, if you start, if you start meddling around with it, you're going to have to make big change if you want big change to happen, right? It's not, it's very difficult to make um, big changes in institutional systems like that without sort of blowing them up and starting over. Yeah. Well, I think that, so if we're going to go full radical, here's one more. Um, I think that we should find ways to celebrate students in science the way we do with athletics. Hmm. that we have to, if we're going to really, I mean, cause you know, we would never in most districts, there would never be an opportunity to cut a, you know, a football team or cut a baseball team or, or cut the funding for those programs. Well, we talked in the last episode about the number of coaches that are on the football team that are supporting the football team in our local district, you know, and they're serving like, I don't know, maybe 35, 40 students. And that's not knocking them. I mean, I, I go to the games. I enjoy watching the games. That's great. And we celebrate their success. And they have these big, huge, tall posters. Here's the, you know, here's the, you know, quarterback. Here's the, mm-hmm. and it's, it's awesome. We, we're celebrating those students. I just want to see the same opportunities being applied to our science students or all st- students, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're like going, hey, you know, here we have these 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 kids who are off studying this thing, and they've, you know, recognized something really cool about our local local community. Let's let's celebrate that. You know, get everybody yeah. in the football field. And let's <laughs> have them give a PowerPoint presentation. No, right. <laughs> have them run some electrophoresis gels. Yeah, yes. yes. Roll balls down ramps. Yeah. Yeah. No, not that. But I I think we do need to to recognize that in because I I think that we should, you know, in kids who study science are cool. You know, from my my point of view, they're, you know, we should be celebrating them. You know, that's cool stuff. You know, just like artists are cool and just like, you know, mathematicians are cool. Like the mathletes, they're they're cool too, you know? Yeah. Uh, I just want to be able to like, you know, that was one of the things about when I was working in a big, a big district, you could find your community. You could find these little pockets of, you know, artists and little, you know, and you didn't seem like that much of like, you know, a unicorn. Right. Mm Because there were lots of people like you there. You know, when you teach in a district where it was like tiny, if you're like somebody in a, you know, who's interested in science, it's like, oh, he's the oddball, you Mm -hmm. know, or she's the oddball. And, you know, there are lots of those folks, you know, we have to find places for them to, but in our restructuring, they'd all be studying science like that. Yeah. Well, and, and as you were talking, the other thing I thought about, which is related to the whole science in between thing is i think we could start to think about um you know the porosity of the school itself like do do we need all the kids together all the time to come into class and hang out or is it like oh well you know the research team meetings are on wednesdays from you know 12 to two, and then everybody comes in for that. But then, you know, if you're a younger age kid, well, you're in school all day because you have to be because you're younger and you need to, so you're doing different things. But some of the older kids, maybe on those other days, they're in the field, maybe they're doing data collection or they're at home doing data analysis on their own, or they're, or they're at the beach, they're at the beach, they're studying right. stuff at the beach, they're studying stuff at the beach or in the mountains or wherever they're going. Right. So this idea of like, well, do we really need everybody all together all the time because again that isn't really the goal because because that uh, that model of well we need 30 people in a room with one teacher is still really predicated on on 
on the 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 sort of notion of everybody should know the same thing and that, right. that knowing gets transmitted um even though there's lots of different ways to do it um that that breaks that down and says well well maybe we don't all need to be in the same room except when we come together and talk about i mean we're gonna have to come together and share things that we've learned oh we were doing this you know ollie and i were off doing this investigation we collected this data here's what we found and then this the other research team says oh you know we we did a similar investigation but with this different population of people and here's what we found and now we have to oh well what does that mean now how do we come together and what what's the next step and how do we work through that um you know, that, that could be, you know, amazing, right. To, to give, cause you know, again, if we come back to like what the root that we're, that I'm always thinking about is like, how are we thinking about agency in the form of giving students more and giving right. teachers less or, or reducing their, their control. Maybe it's not reducing teachers agency, but reducing their control of kids. Yeah. Um, because that leads to more productive and effective learning environments. So, you know, we're waving our magic wands trying to maximize that. Yeah. I, I, I think through our conversations that the agency perspective, like seeing agency as, as being sort of the necessary ingredient for learning and for empowerment for individuals, not just our students in our classroom, but also for teachers in schools. I mean, it's just, it's a pervasive lens for me that wherever I'm looking at, you know, systems, I'm looking for the agency. And I think that that's one of the things that, you know, both with the teacher ed conversation in last episode, in this episode is how do we increase the agency um, mm -hmm. for, for the teachers and for the schools and for the individual students to be able to, you know, really select topics of their own interest. And, and I think the other part about it is that it's running so counter to all of the things that's happening in schools and that happening in colleges. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I think of, you know, how, you know, it's almost like every day, and this is just me, you know, going off a little tirade is every day I'm getting some email or some communication at our institution about that's reducing our agency. That's like, mm -hmm. we have some mandated thing, some sort of like, and it's just like, oh gosh, who made that decision? And it was just yeah. from, you know, yeah. And that's the, that's the challenge, I think. And that's, I think, post pandemic, you know, mm -hmm. I think the pandemic provi provided up opportunity for that mm -hmm. to, yeah. us to clamp down. I apologize. I just went off no, on no. a little. No, no, little... I, think, I, I get that, man. I mean, I think one of the things, and maybe this is something for a future episode that we could think about is, you know, there, there are a lot of tensions in education yeah. um, and we've talked about them and, and spat, uh, skipped around and intermingled in our conversations over many episodes. But I think, you know, one of the certainly important ones is the tension between trust and control. Right? right. So this idea of like, well, um, the more control you exert over people, the less of a trusting relationship you're going to have with them. Right. Um, but, uh, you know, it's and so I think what we have now. Yeah, I think in a lot of contexts is um, a, a, a move towards more control and less trust. And I think that. Um, but I think that things if you morale. If you talk to the other folks, like the people in administrative positions, they're saying that control is because they couldn't trust. Like they they felt that the control was coming from a place where, okay, we, we had this stuff and you know, we had all this flexibility and some people took advantage of it. And mm -hmm. you know, whether it's students or whether it's teachers or whatever, and now it's like, okay, we've got to get we've got to get things back to normal, and this is how we're going to do it, and we're just going to ratchet up the control, which is you know just uh, doing the exact opposite of what their intentions are. Their intentions sure. aren't to you know it's not building trust, it's reducing it. It's making those of us who you know have are trustworthy, you know who are going to do the thing, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. It's reducing our agency and it's making it like, like what, don't they trust me to do this job? You know? Yeah. That's our, no, no, sorry I for think, No, no, but I think, we, we, I think that's your point, right? I mean, that, um, you know, what we've described, all the things that we've described are, are, you know, frankly, optimistic bordering on Pollyanna, right? Like yeah. th th that, you know, that 
when you open up a system this much and just let anything go, like, of course, people are going to abuse the system. But I do think there is an illusion that cranking down and having a very controlled environment means that you don't have that. Right. Um, all, all that you really have is that you force that stuff into being underground and more, more um, sneaky and backhanded, but it's still happening. Like you're, there's no system that eliminates abuse. Like that's impossible in right. it, 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 all because eventually the system just becomes the abuser. But the, but the point is like you, you can't, you're, yeah, sure. If you open things up, there are going to be people who take advantage of the system and that's bad. And we have to think about how to deal with that. But, but the assumption that the way to deal with that is to crank the whole system down so that everybody is, is under, you know, scrutiny and, and whatever other word you want to use for that punishment control. Um, you know, you're right. It, it doesn't, it doesn't help. Um, no, <laughs> it, it, it just increases the number of people who feel like they need to take advantage of the system because the system has become cruel and unusual. Well, while the beginning part of this episode was Pollyanna, we went, we, we, yeah, we, yeah. Sort of <laughs> well, right. Yeah. We, we'll, we'll, we, we'll talk we, about we, oh, uh, just, we had to shake our fist at a cloud or two. <laughs> <laughs> happy happy times uh, we'll talk about the panopticon no oh uh, um, all right so we want to shift into joys yeah it seems like <laughs> seems like a place i think it's your turn to go first today well so i started a podcast so um i started a podcast on a recommendation of my uh my ultra liberal uh, father-in-law and that's coming from me. Like I'm, you know, I put myself in the, you know, the, you know, liberal camp. My, my father-in-law is like, you know, he's 24 seven, you know, MSNBC. He's like, um, but so at first I was sort of like, uh, am I going to want to listen to this? Because I don't really see myself into much media that is going to just reinforce my beliefs or like, yeah. you know, I want to like try to see what the other, you know, folks are thinking and and so he recommended a new podcast from Rachel Matta who is you know from yeah. MSNBC and i really enjoyed her last podcast which was bagman which was all examining the spiro agnew thing and she has a background in political science i think she has a phd in political science um and so i really enjoyed the bagman because it was just historical it wasn't like really I mean, you could see like um you know, some echoes of today there, but you, it was really about this thing in the 1970s where they were, you know, Sparrow Agnew was the vice president. Well, this um, series is called Ultra and um, it is about the ultra right folks who were existing in America pre-World War II. Interesting. And so it's an historical analysis of um, what were really Nazi sympathizers in America in the 1940s, 1930s and 40s mm -hmm. and, and bringing in lots of, you know, recordings from people, lots of, you know, primary documents, lots of interviews with historians. Um, and it's, it's eye-opening. Like I always knew that there were folks who wanted to resist America getting in the war. I always knew that. Um, mm -hmm. But I didn't know their motivations and sometimes their motivations weren't to like, you know, help America. It was yeah. about, you know, making sure that this um, really fascist regime regime in Europe was spreading and with the possibilities that it could come to America too. Mm -hmm. And, and just how active folks were working on behalf of that is eye opening. And so it's very historical. It's not like you can maybe if you want to read the tea leaves, you know, see things or, you know, wonder about things today, but that's not like at all the focus. The focus is entirely on, hey, this is the stuff that happened in 19, in the 1940s. And it's really shocking. It's really shocking how how deep some of the stuff went because they were investing in congressmen. They were there were people who had like direct connections to, you know, people within the Hitler, uh, you know, organization, you know, yeah. that it's eye-opening and troubling, you know, because yeah. it's like, wow, wow. So Ultra, Ultra. podcast by by Rachel Maddow. Okay. 
ultra liberal father-in-law yeah. recommended. Uh, yes. Yes. Super uber liberal, you know? Yeah. There you go. Nice. Okay. Um, so mine will be nerdier than that. Um, so I've been looking around for things to watch, um, in my, in my convalescence here, um, to try and entertain myself. And, uh, and so I returned to a show, which I used to watch and haven't watched in a long time. And, uh, that is Dr. Who. And specifically I started with season 11, which is the one, um, where the new doctor and, just brief backstory for those of you who are not familiar with Dr. Who, this is a very um, nerdy show from the BBC that started in the seventies and has had many, many, many seasons. Um, I mean, I think there's 13 or 14 of just the modern and that's just since the, you know, like in the last 15 years or so. Um, But the, but the premise is essentially there's the main, the main character of the show, which is the doctor. Um, and that's the only, that's the only way the character's ever named is just the doctor um, is what's called a time Lord. And a time Lord is this alien species that every so often regenerates. So what this allows the show to do is recast the doctor as a different, with a different actor um, over the, over the arc of the show um and you know and just have them sort of still have some of the personality of the old doctors but also develop their own personality so season 11 the reason this one's particularly interesting is it's the first time the doctor is a woman so in the history of the show it's always just been oh it's just a new guy right and it's just different guy um so for the first time with with ever the the um season 11 they they cast a woman um, in the role of the doctor and she's fantastic. And the other thing is they always have, the doctor always has a companion and because the doctor's always been a man, it's typically been a woman. Um, and the other interesting thing they did with this series is they, they made it a set of three people that are her companions. So she, so it's like a little crew now of four of them traveling around. Um, but it, it's they do they're just you know it's a great show they're it's well written um it's it used to be sort of janky and and homespun and funky uh special effects and they sort of try and keep some of that vibe even in the current version but um but it's it, but they take on like really interesting uh issues within the context of this sort of funny sci-fi uh, television show so it's it's really heartfelt and and lovely and funny and and the doctor is is just such a great character over over the whole arc but but this the woman who's doing it right now i think is doing a fantastic job so if you've never if you've never seen doctor who it would be easy to jump in with season 11 um you don't have to go back to I don't even know if you can go all the way back, but, but you certainly can't go, go back beyond the modern series, um, easily, but, um, but yeah, like I'm like a, like I, I'm a self-described nerd. Like I, yeah. but I, there are a couple of the litmus tests that I do not pass yeah. for the nerd, the nerd world. One is, uh, Dungeons and Dragons. I've yeah. never played a single round of Dungeons and Dragons in my entire life. And I've never watched a single episode of Dr. Who. Okay. Not one, yeah. Yeah. Not, not, so, and 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 that's not like a knock. I just had, no, no. I, I don't know. I just never like you know. At one, I haven't really come across it or like like sought it out. Um, yeah. and maybe that's something I'll have to check out. Like you know, I've I've read lots of science fiction. I've you know and um watched you know Star Trek and Star Wars and everything and comic books, but never Doctor Who. And yeah. my son's watched it. Like he's watched you know a, a yeah he was on a kick of watching them. But uh, I don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, like I say, this is a it, it's a I find this season really strong so far. I mean, I haven't seen all of it. I've just begun it. Um, but I'm I'm really um, I, I, I think they're doing a nice job of balancing some really sort of powerful, interesting, like one of the one of the episodes happens in um, Montgomery, Alabama, around the rosa parks and the and the um 
and the bus boycott. And there was another one that happens in the division of Pakistan and India into separate countries by the British. Um, So because they jump around both in time and space, they can, but then there's one in between that's about like a, a wacky robot delivery system. That's sort of like an Amazon of the, the future sort of thing where these robots teleport to bring you your packages. So some of them are like, seem sort of weird and dorky and, and like purely, I mean, even that one has some really interesting sort of themes to it, but um, that's cool. But they it's, I mean, it's got its own sort of vibe, but it's very quirky. Um, But yeah, I, I really enjoy it and think they do a nice job of, of, um, you know, they they get good actors from the from the you know the 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 uh, pile of good British actors that they sure. love to do cameos and, and stuff. So it's like great. I like it, Matt Smith was a doctor. David oh, Tennant yeah. was a doctor. I mean, those are folks who are showing sure. up in all sort of, sorts of other places. So there's lots of people who have you know held that role who go off and do big things. And yeah. So if you're, that's, if that's you're really, house dragon fan, yeah, Matt Smith, he's the dude. You've got a doctor in your show. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, there, I mean, there, uh, but then there's a funny line from, a, I think it's a podcast advertisement, but um, about, you know, somebody's joking about what well, that show you watch about the hobo who lives in a dumpster and wears a scarf. <laughs> and <they're> like, doctor <laughs> who? Doctor who. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, but anyway, it's yeah. uh, it's good stuff. I I recommend if you are looking for something to, and you don't there the though the shows have some continuity, you can jump in anywhere, and you don't feel like you're going to be lost. Like they all stand alone episodes. So cool. Yeah. So hopefully, uh, you're not, uh, you're able to you know, get healthy. And so you can get yes. out of the, the I don't next, know, man, uh, maybe I just want to watch. Uh, so, so, maybe, maybe, yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but it's beautiful outside, you know, I like know. last I episode know. was about, I said about fall, still fall out there, at least in central Pennsylvania. You want to get out fall there. out there. Yeah. Still fall. All right. Well, we'll catch you next time in between. See you then. Bye now. I know. 